Great coaches ask great questions. Days at work are the days when the light bulb goes on for somebody else. Well, hello and welcome to the On It Not In It podcast uh, interview series. I'm your host, Todd Eppert, and today I'm joined by Chad Hoffman, who is the president and CEO of the Richwood Banking Company. Chad, thank you so much for joining us. Would you like to kick us off with a brief background as to who you are and what your company does to support the small business world? Sure, Todd. It's again great to be with you, and appreciate the opportunity. We, uh, um, community banking, is is just that that field that not a lot of people know about. Uh, um, you know, you always hear about the big banks in the news, and the community banks really just aren't in the news that much. But uh, we're a very strong part of the communities, obviously, that we serve. Uh, usually, if a community bank pulls out of a town. You know that that town really all the other businesses leave as well, and, and so you know a community bank is a very important part of some of those smaller uh, uh, areas of the the states and, and you know in the country. And we still do a lot of the small business and the ag lending uh, for for you know businesses and, and and farmers that are out there. Right, the the larger banks usually don't get into that kind of a realm too much. It's not where they like to play. So um, you know very important part we believe of the industry, and I'm involved with uh, what's called the CBAO, which is the Community Bankers Association of Ohio, as well as the ICBA, which is the Independent Community Bankers of America, just because we we lobby for community banks, that model, what that looks like, and make sure that uh, you know when regulators uh, uh, make rules that they understand the differences between large you know banks and and the community banks and what those rules can can do for both so uh, no it's it's great i've been with the bank for 30 years and uh, when i started we were 68 million in assets and had 24 employees and and today we uh, were just short of 1.3 billion and have about 210 employees in total so it's been fun to watch the uh, the growth i wasn't president at the start i i became president in 2007. So I've been doing this this job now for a few years, but uh, it's been fun to work with a lot of different individuals and just watch that growth and and kind of scaling a business. Even even being a bank, we still had to scale much like a you know a small business would from an entrepreneurial perspective. So you know to watch those changes and things we had to do differently because what worked at one size didn't necessarily work at another. Excellent, excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So. Even though you're not the founder uh, of the small business, as a small community bank, you've had to almost act like a small business, right? Many hats, probably lots of different things you've had to do, pivot here and there, um, all the things that our small business owners have to do as well. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is no difference because, again, I think the biggest word and, and uh, uh, that I love is relevance, right? I mean, you just everybody takes for granted that their business model will last forever and it and as we've seen historically, that's that's not the case. There's many businesses out there that are one time were on top of the world. Um, you know, I, I look at a Sears, I look at a, at a, at a Blockbuster, um, you know, Kodak and the, these companies that were doing really well, but they just assumed that their business model was going to last and it, and it did not. In, uh, in 2000, there were 300 banks and savings and loans in the state of Ohio. Today, there's about 165. So, you know, in just over 20 years, almost half of them have, are, are, have merged with somebody else. They don't fail. They just merge. Right. So now you've got fewer banks and, and 
There's very few what they call de novo banks, which are brand new ones that start up from scratch because the regulatory environment's tough. You know, the capital requirements of getting in, it's difficult. And so when you see a, an industry that's contracting like that and nobody new is getting in, you got to ask about the relevance of the model and, and you know, you, you don't want to be blind to it. So, you know, we're trying to create a new model here um, inside. We tried to decide, OK, what can we do as a community bank that maybe other industry other size banks won't do. And uh, we started an advertising firm inside the bank. We have Richwood Marketing, where we actually help our clients market themselves, build websites, uh, logo designs, just anything you can think of from a, an ad agency perspective, we actually do for our clients. We have a payroll company inside here. We do payroll for companies anywhere from one employee. We've got one that's almost 400. So, you know, to do that for them, uh, we do uh, uh, Richwood Financial is that is that place where we help uh, companies set up 401ks for themselves, as well as help individuals, you know, invest for the future too. a lot of banks have that side, but it's just that importance to tie together, you know, how do you can not just to offer accounts and loans, but how do you make them better in the future? And the last thing we do is called Richwood U and it's an education arm because we believe that the, the small business owner. A great book out there by Michael Gerber called, you know, the E-Myth Revisited that says, you know, entrepreneurs great at working in their business, not on their business, which I know that you're, you ascribe to. Right. So uh, hence the name. But it, uh, um, that's what we're trying to do is say, how can we help the business owner? Because, again, my team's heard me say it. If the only human being you see is the UPS driver bringing your Amazon order, you don't need a community and you don't need a community bank right? We, we won't be necessary for you. We do the best with those business community or the, the businesses that are involved in the community, people that are coaching softball or coaching baseball or, you know, involved in the local um, um, nonprofit boards. The people that are getting involved, those are the people we do the best with. But you won't have those people if they're not successful in their businesses in town or in their businesses, you know, and, and what they're doing. So how do we help them compete against big boxes, against retail online? You know, what does that look like? And uh, so anything we can do to help them besides, yes, we have accounts, we have loans. But what else can we do to strengthen their, their you know, their financial base? Excellent. Love hearing all that detail, Chad. Thank you so much. So, yeah, supporting that small business is not just giving them a loan. You're doing a lot of other things as a bank to support them. So, so let exactly. me, let me take you back to that 30 years, you know, you're thinking about starting a career in banking. Why, why choose to go to work for a small business bank rather, or a small community bank rather than go to one of the big boys? What, what was that spark for you? And I have to admit, I grew up in a small community, about 2,500 people graduated in a high school class of a hundred. And uh, my family has been involved in the town and in the bank for many years. Um, so uh, uh, we're not family. It's not a family owned bank. I know there's many of those out there in the country. We're not that, but we have been involved in a long time. It's just worked out. My grandfather was president. My uncle was president and my mother actually was president before I was. And it uh, it's worked out that way. Like I said, we don't own it. We don't even own a seat. We don't have any shareholders that own over 5%. So, you know, it's it's but we are community owned. So we're what's called, you know, closely held. Uh, we're not publicly traded. So we have just over 900 stockholders in total and they're all community individuals. We don't have any institutional stockholders. You know, they all um, are, are they all invest in us because of what we're doing in the in these communities that we serve. Awesome. That's really cool to hear. So uh, so you're still running. The bank's still a business. You're still doing those. Things. So. Tell us, what are some of the misconceptions you've had to deal with? You know, you go into the small banking world, you're from a small community. 
probably you started with some ideas and then you're like, whoa, that's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. So what are some misconceptions you've had to deal with? Oh, wow. I, I guess one of the big ones that, that happens with, with community banks and, and even businesses and one of the things that we've had to do education on is, you know, banks are, banks are not investors. You know, they're, they're always going to be the ones holding the bag at the end of the day. And, and we can never do better than what the interest rate that we charge on a loan. Right. An entrepreneur goes in and, hey, if their business takes off, they can sell it for a whole lot of money. They can you know, they've got all these benefits of scaling up and doing all these exciting things. We just get paid back our money plus interest. That's that's as good as it gets for us. And so, you know, when they come to us, sometimes that was one of the things that surprised me early is how many businesses come and they're kind of looking for an investor. They're not looking for a, you know, a loan with the bank because it's it's a startup business. It's something that, you know, they want to scale up. And, you know, that bank has to make sure that they're going to get paid back at the end of the day. It's not a risk. It's not there's no upside for us besides just getting paid back. So that was one of the things, I guess, that surprised me is is um, um, how many, you know, approach a bank with that investment type of mentality. Um, another thing is the regulatory environment. Uh, that thing has has just evolved. It's changed. Um, it does swing based on political party. I'll admit that openly. Um, it, it, it just, uh, sometimes it's, it's really, really heavy. Sometimes it lightens up a little bit, but, uh, you know, banks, they're, they're, they're in business to be successful as well. No different than the entrepreneur. And sadly, in, in kind of the, the, the environment today, it's almost becoming the banking is a, is a God given right. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, you're just, you should be able to have a bank account and it have not charged you any kind of fees. Well, there's a lot of expenses on this side just to stay compliant is a significant cost, uh, to follow all the rules and regulations that the government has set up. I, I believe in regulation, you know, and, 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 you know, watching things to make sure that nobody is in, you know, getting into any kind of trouble. But I think we've seen historically, you know, banks still fail, you know, things still happen, but um, at the end of the day, you know, there, there's oversight and then there's kind of like overreach or, you know, really going after it. And I don't like it when they say you can't charge any more than this for a specific fee. You know, I wouldn't want any entrepreneur to be told you can't charge anything more than this for the product that you make. And, you know, if a consumer doesn't like it, they can choose somewhere else. They can work with somebody else. That's just to me, that's the American model and, and what we need to try to stick to. So that's that's probably my other biggest surprise as a banker and getting into it is is how that regulatory body or, or that regulatory feel kind of changes over time. Got it. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. So uh, next question is I'm going to ask the same question, but I'm going to ask it from two different perspectives uh, for our listeners. So. From your perspective as a banker, you talk to a lot of small business owners, I'm sure, on a regular basis. What yes. are their biggest challenges today? What are they facing? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, after COVID, things are just different, correct? I mean, I think the biggest number one thing we see today is uh, staffing, you know, getting 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 qualified staffing, getting people to come in and, you know, everybody wants to work a hybrid job or wants to work a remote job. And, and you know, some of these uh, uh some of the small businesses are, are physically intensive. You know, I mean, um, um, we had somebody replace cement out in front of our bank just two years ago, and there wasn't anybody on that crew that was under 60 years of age. And we asked him, we said, hey, don't you, you know, bring anybody on to, to work with you and help you out? And they're like, yeah, they usually last for a day or two, you know, and, and so they're having trouble getting, getting uh, you know, individuals to take some of these positions that have been filled for years by, uh, you know, tradesmen that are, on. And it's not just tradesmen. I mean, it's it's professional. It's it's trades. It's a lot of different things where, to me, keeping people there, it used to be, you know, you started with a job and a lot of times you retired with the job, right? You, you worked at a place for, I mean, I've been here for 30 years. You worked at a place for 30 years. A lot of 
a lot of new generations, you know, two, three years and it's like, oh, I got to go do something new. You know, I got to stretch my horizons. And that's about the time that they're becoming useful for whatever business they're working for. Right. It takes a while to really understand it and get that knowledge and then they're gone. And so, uh, you know, the business is trying to retain them. Um, I'm doing a lot of training right now where we're doing a lot of education with businesses around how to, to to kind of engage with the team members. You just assumed they were engaged before, but now you've got to work with them. You've got to, you know, offer opportunities for growth, uh, you know, develop the right type of team with the right skill sets, but then, you know, kind of invest in their future too. It's not just, Hey, I'm paying them a salary. There's some other things that I think you, you know, the small business owner needs to do to, uh, to, to, to keep and, and retain those employees. So that's definitely number one, obviously inflation is, is a big one. The other one today, and only banks see it the way we do. And unless it's touched you, you don't understand is fraud. Mm. Uh, the amount of fraud out there today, um, if you're writing checks and sending them in the mail, it's just a matter of time. It's that's a Russian roulette. Honestly, it, um, the check amount of physical check fraud today is astronomical. You all think it, you know, that it's going to be electronic. It's going to be, you know, all these digital things that happen. We see more fraud through physical checks than anything else today by far. And so, you know, even on the small business side, you know, if you're a small business and you're paying some of your vendors with large checks that go through the mail, that's that's you're going to end up with a problem some at some point. So, you know, that's that's another thing, too, that uh, um, just just is happening to the small businesses when it hits them. We just had one get hit for fifty five thousand dollars. You know, they, they'd written a check to a specific company and they thought they'd paid it. The check came back, came out of their account. Everything was fine. Then the vendor called him, you know, two months later and says, hey, why haven't you paid us yet? He said, well, of course, we did pay you. I've got this canceled check. It's all good. And we never received it here. It had been stolen out of a post office. I mean, they were able to track it and figure it out, stolen out of a post office. And somebody used that check and, and deposited it into an account with a similar name at a different institution. And it was two months before anybody figured out there was a problem. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it, and like I said, you don't know until you get bit that, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was a thing. So so we really encourage electronic payments today as much as possible. A lot of people think, oh, that's where you get hacked. I mean, when you think of all the information that's on a check, it's really easy to alter. It doesn't take a lot of, you know, skill sets or know-how to uh, to make a check, you know, deposit it, make it look good. Yeah, good point. Good point. So, okay, I told you I was going to ask the same question twice. So sure. uh, you talked about the regulatory information and things like that that's causing you issues, but what is the bank's biggest challenge when it comes to working with small business owners? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Biggest challenge with working with small business owners is probably kind of updating them with that regulatory environment change. Um, for instance, you know, we we now uh, with the way that things get regulated, we we make a loan to you. And Todd, if I if I made you a ten year loan and I approve it. And um, I make your 10 year loan. It's a large one. Let's say it's over a million dollars. It used to be I made you that loan and we didn't talk for the next 10 years unless you had another need. You know, we might reach out to you with accounts or things like that. But that loan, we didn't worry about. You make the payments on time. You're not hearing from the bank. Now, kind of through the regulatory environment, this the, the, this four letter word out there called risk that they want you to risk assess all of your loans. And so to kind of train the small business that, you know what, I know I made you the loan, you've made every payment on time, but every year I need you to send me your taxes and your financial statement. Because what I need to know is if your business is deteriorating, you know, if it's getting worse, if you only got half the sales you had the year before, I have to risk rate your loan different, even though you're still making payments every month, I'm doing some things on the backside that's a regulatory requirement 
that, you know, when we get regulated, they'll come in and say, well, you don't know about this loan. They'll make us downgrade the loan, even if it's current. So, you know, that can cause us problems on the backside on some cost and things. And so we have to collect this information on a, on a yearly basis, even though you've made every payment on time as agreed. And that's, yeah. that's a tough thing to work with them, get them to understand. And I understand the frustration, but it's actually in the loan documents that they sign that they will provide that to us. But you don't want to say, well, you told us you would. I mean, you're trying to make them understand why it's it's necessary. And it's tough. Yeah, that's a great one. I, I love that perspective that you're sharing that. And, and, and I, I'll speak for it. Uh, small business owners, Please. a lot of times they don't like to share their financials. They don't like to share their tax returns because oftentimes that's their personal stuff. Right. It's Absolutely. Not like a, it's not like a publicly traded company where it's, you know, the. The financials are published for every shareholder and every every public person that wants to look at it. We can look at it, but yep. you're talking about digging into the the real details of someone's financial life, and it's our finances yeah. are as personal as our relationships are. Very much so, Todd. And that that's that's where that challenge lies, right? Is is we understand their feelings towards it, yeah. but when you have you know the the Federal Reserve, um, now we get we're we're audited specifically or examined by the Federal Reserve in the state of Ohio. But some banks are the FDIC, some are the OCC. You know, it just depends on the regulator. But I promise you, they're all going after this specific thing. You have to assess your risks. And even though that person's made every payment on time, hey, they've got half the sales they used to. What are you doing to make sure that this doesn't become a problem loan? Because it used to be for us, we waited until you made a late payment. Right. And then we're talking. Right. But if you've made every payment on time for six years, I, I don't really care. I'm happy that you're paying me back and everything's good. Yeah. But I do understand the risk side. But but in some cases, when you know a business is doing well and like you said, they get very um, uh, private about their stuff. I don't want to lose a customer because I'm required to gather this information that, hey, I trust them to make every payment. You know, I, it's not me questioning them that they're going to do it. I have to prove to somebody, a third party that's looking at it, that this is a good loan. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. And, and like you said, you probably walk a few loans because people don't want to have to share all that information later. Right. They'd rather it does they'd become rather an not, issue. Yeah. They'd rather not take the loan and maybe put off the investment they were going to make or the growth opportunity they were going to take or the risk that we're going right. to take because they don't want to they don't want to let have to deal with all the regulations. That's correct. And I don't want to lose that opportunity because of, of that stickler, because there's some people I would love to do business with and would trust them to make every payment. You know, there's just some people. I mean, we make it to the person, not to the individual, not to the situation or to the collateral. We, we, we've analyzed the person and we know, hey, this this person, even if things are tough, they're going to make their payments, if at all possible. And right. we have very little charge offs because that's the kind of customers that we work with. Hey, every day isn't a great one, right? Every year isn't a great one. But by gosh, when it comes down to it, you if, if it's at all possible, you make you meet your obligations. Sorry about that. Well, that's fine. Uh, yeah, so uh, so thank you. So um, so let's talk a little bit. You've been mentioning a few things. You mentioned the pandemic and a few other things like regulations that have caused you to, to change the way you do business. But um, so how do you stay, um, I'll call it adaptable, and how do you stay innovative in the banking industry when there is so much of that stuff on top of you from the regulation side? Absolutely. I think the biggest thing is is to keep, not to get too locked in, like I mentioned before, on the model. You know, you've got to be willing to change some things. Hey, just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean that, you know, you 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 always need to do it that way. What's a, what's a more innovative way? What's a more efficient way to get that done? I read a lot of books. Um, um, I've got a library of business books of probably 300 of them. And uh, I love to learn from other people, other industries and what they've done. Um, 
we, we, we try to emulate some of the, you know, great experiences that some, some great companies do for, you know, their clients. There's nothing saying that a bank can't, you know, provide an awesome experience. It's not something that most people think of when they think of banks, but we actually in our lobbies, uh, Todd, we have, we have coffee shops. We've built coffee shops into our banks that we actually run ourselves. And we've used a local vendor. They're able to make donations uh, to local nonprofits that we work with. Customer makes a donation. And as a thank you, the bank gives you so many drinks at our coffee shop. It's actually so many cups. And so whatever you put in the cup is up to you. We, but we have quality you know, coffee drinks, smoothies, uh, frappes. I mean, different kinds of drinks that you would get at, at a Starbucks style place. But we're doing it right here in the local institution. And we, I've got seating downstairs in this office for 30 people. We have music playing. It's a Wi-Fi space. So, you know, to, to, to look at a model like that and say, hey, we've got this bank building, but people can do a lot of their you know banking at home in their underwear. Not that you need that picture in your mind, but they can do that. Right. So. So, uh, you know, to 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 say, OK, how do they don't need to come in for a transaction if they don't want to. So how can we make them want to come in for another reason? And so to become that third space, that place that everybody feels safe, it's a bank. Hey, I'll stop there on the way to work, on the way from work. We open at seven o'clock in the morning just so we can get people before they go to work or to school. We get kids that come into our coffee shops now. You know, when's the last time you had high school kids going into a bank lobby? And we get it on a regular basis. So, you know, that that next generation of, of customers. So, again, it's no different than any other industry. You have those challenges that are going to be, you know, specific to the industry, whether it's regulatory, whether it's environmental, whatever it may be. But you've got to be willing to, to move with those things. You can sit there and complain about it all day or you can attack it and and, uh, you know, come up with new ideas. Well, man, I love those stories. Uh, yeah, you talked a little bit about all the other services that you provide your clients, but right. the, the coffee shop, what an innovative idea. And the fact that you open the doors at 7 a.m., another very non-bank innovative idea. That's what I would call that. Well, and it is difficult to staff, you know, because we have to have staffing that rotates versus you used to be able to have a person here the entire, you used to have the old banking hours, right? I remember those days where it was, I think if everybody worked the hour they were supposed to, it was a 34-hour week. And, you know, that was bankers hours. You know, you were closed right. before businesses closed. You were open after businesses opened. You know, you just it just was bankers hours. That's what they called it. And today, you know, we don't assume that people have to use this or that they're going to walk through our doors. We try to make them want to do that, you know, want to work with us. And so we actually have a value out there. It's our it's our vision statement that we called to inspire, protect and celebrate anything that helps communities thrive. So, you know, for us, it's all the investment in the community, but kind of in that inspiration side is, okay, the bank is doing these different things. What can I as a business do that makes me more relevant to my customers or to the community in general? So, you know, we try to do things of that nature and that vision. And we beat each other up a lot when we created it a few years back, but we're really trying to live that out today through many different the services we provide, plus the, you know, the experience that we're doing. Got it. Got it. So big reader, lots of experience, been with a lot of businesses, worked, helped a lot of people out over the 30 years you've been doing it. So the big question, let me put you in the advisor role. What advice would you offer to the aspiring entrepreneurs out there that are just starting their journey or maybe they're hitting the wall and they're struggling a little bit early on in their businesses? Don't hesitate to ask for help. There's a lot of resources out there. I mean, you're doing this podcast, right? There are podcasts, there are books, there are resources, there's consultants. There are people, you don't have to know everything. Um, but a lot of entrepreneurs feel like they have to. And if you, if you do that, I think you get into a trap of you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, use consultants. I'm a big believer in using consultants and, and trying to learn from them so you don't have to use them forever. 
But, you know, you, you've got to continue to, to just learn and find out what's going on, but learn from others. Don't don't think you have to do it all or that it makes you look dumb or stupid or uninformed if you're asking somebody else for help, whether it's your banker, your accountant, your tax advisor, you know, any of these types of people, lawyers, you know, there, there's different people that can help. And I know you think of some of those easy ones, but even business advisors, you know, they're out there. And just like, you know, podcasts to listen to specific ones about businesses and how they've overcome some of the challenges that they've had. Rarely does an entrepreneur exist that somebody hasn't walked that path before them. And if you can learn from their mistakes and some of the ways that they got around it, uh, you might shortcut some of the, you know, you don't have to recreate the wheel sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you do. And, and, you know, that's, that's what's exciting about entrepreneurship. But I think I personally see some, some entrepreneurs that think, you know, I have to know everything. I have to be in control of everything. And, and I think that's, that's, that's limiting your growth and limiting your scaling to do that. Excellent. Well, thanks for sharing those thoughts, Chad. So uh, sure. Chad, thank you again for joining us today. We really appreciate all the time you spent with us and all the, all the thoughts from the other side of the desk when we go to the bank and ask for help. Right. So it was great meeting you and learning more about what your, your own entrepreneurial journey and how you've helped others along the way uh, to everyone watching and listening. We appreciate it. We'll see you on the next episode. And thanks again, Chad. Thanks, Todd.